Martech Stacked, episode 19, with Rand Fishkin. Brought to you by Content Cal. Plan, collaborate on, approve, and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. This is Martech Stacked, the weekly show that delves into the what, which, why, and how of marketing technology. I'm your host, David Bain. And each episode, I'll be chatting with a top marketer or a top technologist about what MarTech they use, which are their top tools, why they use the tools that they do, and how they integrate everything together as part of their overarching content marketing strategy and MarTech stack. I'm joined today by a man who, in 2004, co-founded the SEO software company Moz. He moved on in 2018 and wrote Lost and Founder, a painfully honest field guide to the startup world, before launching SparkToro, a MarTech tool that identifies your customers' biggest sources of influence and the hidden gems so you can reach them where they hang out. Welcome to the Market Stacked, Rand Fishkin. David, thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rand. Um, I saw you give a little wave at the beginning there, actually, but um, I'm uh, cutting the video up, which means that um, at the very beginning, it'll just be focused on me. But um, I just wanted to share with the, the listener that um, you were giving that, um, that uh, lovely, um, informal uh, Rand greeting at the beginning. Yes, yes. Uh, fair, fair enough. No, not right. Because a lot of people probably uh, have seen a whiteboard Friday or two. And I guess I have a signature wave that uh, got picked up as a meme at some point in MarTech world. I, I, I like the fact that uh, in your book, the, the back of your book, it actually says um, on the back cover, hi there, it's me, Rand, and then in brackets, waves. So that's uh, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a bit of a personal brand identity thing you've got going on there. Oh, as, man, you know. I guess I've been I've been outed as a waiver. <laughs> There's worse. I, got, I got training. I got training with the queen. So I think I'm uh, in well, good I hands. Don't know. I think you've got to improve your wave or, or alter your wave style. I think uh, if you can compare the I'm both. Try, I'm trying to be efficient. You know, David, yeah. I, I try and keep it. You know, I want to be it. Uh, Americanize it a little bit. Okay, okay, okay. F first listener to come up with a gif that combines the Queen and Rand's waves. Then <laughs> let's see if <laughs> someone, someone's going to do, do that. Wish, I do wish I had her uh, savage wit and uh, ability to dismiss uh, nepotistic and, and corrupt world leaders the way she does. That would be a delightful skill. She's certainly still being able to do that quite successfully well into her 90s so um uh very impressive but um uh, i just want to tell the listener of course you can find rand over at sparktoro.com um so rand ex explain what sparktoro does and how you use marketing technology that and also other other marketing technology to make it better sure yeah absolutely um so sparktoro is incredibly simple software with a very simple uh, value proposition. And the really difficult part is just getting the data and plugging it all together. So the idea with SparkToro is that you or any marketer uh, or researcher can instantly discover what any audience reads, watches, listens to, and follows. If you want to know what uh, plumbers in Canada are listening to, which podcasts are popular with them, SparkToro can tell you. If you want to know what um, professional architects in Los Angeles are watching on YouTube, SparkToro can tell you that. If you want to know uh, what people who care about custom sneakers in London, uh, which websites are popular with them, SparkToro can tell you. And, uh, and that, that data is gathered from uh, tens of millions of social and web profiles that we have sort of uh, crawled just the same way Google would crawl. So it's all publicly available information there's there's no you know uh, privacy violation we don't um we don't st store or show uh, uh personally identifiable information this is all uh, aggregated data and it is you know it's something that a lot of uh in-house marketers who are trying to under better understand their audiences and where to reach them and a lot of agencies and consultants uh use to do just that and i i will say david we launched three months and 20 some days ago. So we're, uh, we're still pretty darn new mm. uh, and early stage. But um, yeah, it's been really cool to see people already adopting the product. Well, it's great to see you've launched. Obviously, that's a big feat in itself. It's quite challenging to get to that stage um, uh, as a SaaS um, developer. But 
actually, I'll ask you a little bit about the history of Spark Tower to begin with. So, so sure. how long have you, have you actually been thinking about the concept for? Um, gosh, probably since 2015 or 16. Um, noodling less on the solution and more on the problem, right? Because for those who don't know, my previous company, Moz, was in SEO software, right? Search engine optimization. And so, look, if you're a marketer, who or or you know you're building something right a mm-hmm. um you're building content you're building a product or or whatever it is that you're uh, trying to market if people go out and directly search for the thing that you offer search marketing is great right google works great for that right somebody says oh i want running shoes fantastic but what if what you're selling is uh heavy machinery and nobody searches for it? Or what if you're selling a software product that maybe solves a very painful problem, but people don't know to search for it, right? They don't, they don't, they're not realizing that they have the problem, or even if they do realize it, they don't know how to Google your solution. And so in those cases, what do you do, right? You have to build up awareness of the problem, awareness of your solution in other ways. And I, I remember having a lot of uh, challenging conversations when I was at Moz with businesses and organizations of all sorts of sizes, especially a lot of early stage companies who said, search doesn't work for me. So mm-hmm. search doesn't work for you and you don't want to pour you know, ludicrous amounts of dollars into, into Facebook advertising and display advertising. What do you do? Right? You got to figure out the sources of influence that already reach your audience and then make them aware of you in those places. That, that is uh, very, very challenging, especially the figuring out what your audience pays attention to. And so I started thinking about it you know, while I was at Moz. And then when I left, uh, my co-founder Casey and I got together. We talked a bunch about this and of the problems that we considered potentially solving uh, with a new company, we decided that this one was the one we were most excited about. And thankfully, um, thankfully, we were able to convince a bunch of investors um, to put money into a very nascent idea, right? A product, the product didn't exist yet. It was, so it was just a concept and uh, it was a very unusual structure. We did not raise venture. We don't plan on ever raising venture. Um, in fact, we plan on being a profitable company that pays dividends, which is blows most investors' minds. And they think it's a terrible idea until they see how, how, how successful it can potentially be. But, um, Regardless, yeah, that that journey uh, was a was a long one, and then we were in development for almost eighteen months before launching. So it was a it was a long dev process. I am not a fan of the MVP model, so we really polished up the product. You know, we had a version that was ready uh, in July of twenty nineteen, and we didn't actually launch the product that went live uh, for V one until April of twenty twenty. Yeah, I, I kind of reading your book, um, Lost and Founder. I, I think that um, you obviously talk through the the challenges that that you've had in the past as well with doing things like perhaps launching a an, an MVP and yeah. uh, maybe delivering an unsatisfactory experience. And um, I, I can certainly understand why you feel that. And I and I and I like the fact that um, you're not really a fan of venture capital either. I, I think that. More entrepreneurs, more digital entrepreneurs nowadays are being a little bit more self-sufficient and going down that route. But it's and it's nice to see, and it's 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 nice to see you doing that as well. Um, let's talk talk a little bit about first of all what a business maybe does with the data that they find in Spark Toro, because I'm sure there's a lot of incredible data that they can find, but what would be a typical use case scenario where a company goes on there, they, they conduct the research and they find the data in Spark Toro. Um, what, what would be the next step uh, maybe strategically for them? Would they use the data to form relationships with influencers and get them to hopefully become brand advocates? Uh, yeah, that's one potential um, use case. We've seen a little bit of that. I wouldn't say it's the majority of cases, but uh, so the the two biggest use cases that we've seen, the big broad use cases are um, marketing teams using us for their strategic planning, right? Basically, 
where are we going to go try and reach our audiences that is not just throwing money at Google and Facebook? Mm -hmm. So uh, they they use SparkToro to try and get a sense for do our audiences, which which social platforms do our audiences participate on and who do they pay attention to there? Which publications are popular and how popular? Which websites are popular and how popular? Which podcasts, which YouTube channels? Uh, um, what sorts of hashtags they use? What words and phrases they use to describe themselves? And then it's almost um, in a way like a marketing persona development process, right? Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to understand their audience so that they can prioritize with data, right? Instead of just intuition and insight, with data, they can prioritize, should we do a bunch of YouTube sponsorships? Should we do influencer marketing? Should we do podcast sponsorship? Should we try and pitch uh, guest editorials? Should we do some op-eds in major papers? Should we do some... Um, website sponsorships? Should we do some partnerships, co-marketing, uh, webinars, all that type of stuff, right? So it, it is helping them see where their audiences pay attention so that they can, at the very top level, strategize about how to reach those audiences. And then in the tactical level, go out and say, aha, you know, David and Content Cal's podcast, wow, that is popular with MarTech folks. Like, let, how do we get on there? How do we sponsor that? How do we, you know, get our product mentioned there? That would be uh, a, a very big use case for SparkToro. And then I would say there's also the much more sort of in the weeds tactical use case that a lot of content marketing folks and PR folks uh, have been using SparkToro for. And that is literally, we just made something or we have a campaign to run we need to figure out where to go pitch it, right? And so it's just straight up building a list for outreach. So your first uh, use case scenario, can you imagine then that more brands would actually be arranging their own advertising directly themselves with where they're advertising instead of going through a third party like Google AdWords or, or, or Isn't Facebook? That the dream? That's the dream, right? I think it is. I think there's got to be some kind of mechanism, I guess, to ensure that the rates that they're paying fit market, um, market rates or, or better than that. And I guess measure the effect of the effectiveness of that. Is there some is there some mechanism that you can think of, some software that you can think of that a customer that a customer could use um, to manage lots of different independent advertisers or advertising opportunities? Hmm, that's a good question. I am not familiar with something like that. Um, but my suspicion is that many, many advertisers and many marketers don't invest in sort of doing it themselves because it is challenging to maintain all those relationships one to one. Uh, and as a result, as a result of very few people doing that, the ROI is incredibly high. So anytime there's a marketing tactic where there's sort of a barrier to entry, right? It's, oh, well, it's really difficult to, for example, uh, get invited to speak at a bunch of events or, you know, now in, in COVID times, it's a bunch of webinars, right? It's very challenging to pitch yourself and get accepted and then create those and have content that resonates and, and be appreciated by the audience. And because it's very difficult and because very few people do it, it's incredibly valuable, mm. right? It, it can literally, you know, make an entire business. And there are tons of agencies and technology firms and software companies. I mean, I, you know, I, I did this at Moz, right? We, we had a number of tactics that that we invested in that I think turned that into a, you know, multi tens of millions of dollars a year business uh, because very few people invested in them. But almost everyone is throwing money at Google and Facebook. And so it's really difficult to get a true competitive advantage and unique value proposition in your marketing campaigns by also throwing money at Google and Facebook. Yeah. And this is why, in my opinion, the dream is disintermediate those monopolistic gangsters. <laughs> I, 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 I completely get what you're saying. And I, and I, I agree that uh, I think a lot of marketers don't value uh, having real face-to-face -face conversations with customers, with partners, and 
really developing an under, understanding of um, what those partners do and enabling those partners to understand what their brand does, thus better hopefully representing it in a more genuine way to their their own audiences. I, I, I guess there has to be that bit of software that exists to better manage those relationships if um, a brand's going to do it at scale. But um, it certainly seems to be a more important way to move now to to better take advantage of what your what your brand is truly about. I spoke to Louis Grenier from Hotjar yeah. um, in episode nine, and he actually uh, we're, we're going to hear what your top three pieces of mar- marketing technology are just in a second. But um, he picked. Um, he cheated a bit. He said um, conversations with customers is his n- number one piece of technology or number one thing to do. But um, he positioned it in a way that used technology as well. But um, essentially, it's all about um, really knowing um, what customers want as opposed to relying on technology to, to, to find out those, those those things on your behalf. So let, let's get into your technology as well, Rand. So um, starting off with number three, what are your top three tools um, in your current MarTech stack and why? Sure. Uh, so one of the tools that we have been using, and in fact, we're, we're nearly on the edge of launching an integration with them, uh, is Hunter.io. And if folks aren't familiar with Hunter, they uh, essentially crawl the web, aggregate data in a very um, email-centric way. So if you are trying to discover the email address of almost anyone professionally in at almost any uh, publication or website, uh, Hunter does a spectacular job. Right, uh, you can type in virtually any website and get the format that people use that that you know that um, employer or that company uses for their uh, team members, and you can get back a bunch of the email addresses that are associated. Um, it's it's very, very impressive. Uh, and yeah, I think it's, you know, email discovery is a challenge for everyone. Um, I don't love cold outreach at scale. I don't even love cold outreach one to one, but in many, many cases there, uh, when you are doing marketing sorts of things, having an email address is hugely valuable, right? So um, I, I find myself using it very regularly to find e- even things like someone who has signed up for a SparkToro account. And I like to email everybody who, who pays for a subscription, right? Who buys a SparkToro subscription. So they'll, they'll come in, they'll sign up with something like, you know, admin or team or marketing at domain name. Well, that, I know that that goes to an alias and does it actually go to the person who signed up? But then I see the name of the person who signed up. So I'll go to LinkedIn and I'll find that person's name and maybe I'll send them a connection request on LinkedIn, but then I'll go to hunter.io and plug them in. And now I get back their email. And now when I send the welcome to SparkToro email, it goes to their email address and it feels so personal to be welcomed individually to SparkToro and have that person know something about you. And right, like there's a real relationship there. So I, I love them for a bunch of stuff. And yeah, like I said, uh, SparkToro is about to do an integration where we will show contact data from Hunter uh, inside our product too. I find your phrase doing marketing type things uh, quite interesting. Um, so uh, that would mean that um, it's not necessarily just about email marketing. Is it a legitimate use of Hunter to get email addresses and then to use it maybe to create a very bespoke targeting campaign for advertising. Yeah, certainly. Right. I, yeah. I, I think that is um, a use that a lot of marketers do at scale already. And uh, I've seen, you know, folks do similar things with, uh, with Facebook or they'll take email addresses and they'll plug them into Clearbit or full contact to get back all the social URLs and then they'll go, you know, look at those social URLs or crawl them and extract data from them. Um, yep. So all that kind of stuff is is uh, our use cases. Wow. Okay. So it's a tool that I haven't tried personally. I've certainly heard of, but um, it's in my list of tools to try. And you, you might just have uh, pushed nice it further is, up there. I mean, David, you could try it on this podcast in 10 seconds flat because all it is, it's just a form field, right? That's like enter, enter anybody. And then you enter anybody, and it, bam, returns to you with with wh- wh- whatever data it's got. 
Um, and I love tools like that. I love tools that require almost no setup, almost no sophistication, right? The UX is just ludicrously obvious <laughs> and straightforward. But then the power of the data is what's useful there, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know if you go to hunter.io and plug in Rand Fishkin, like I assume they'll I, just- I, I, I've already plugged in sparktoro.com and it's come up with oh, two okay. email addresses, your own and also support at sparktoro.com. Those both go to me, but yes, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, it, 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 it's certainly an appealing tool to try. So I'm sure many marketers will be doing that. And I, I like the additional social lookup um, software that you, you recommended us as well. Can, can you just highlight again oh, what sure, those yeah, two those tools are. were called? Yeah, uh, so Full Contact has their person API where you can essentially send them a list of email addresses or social accounts and they'll fill in kind of all the blanks. So if you, for example, maybe maybe you've uh, trawled through Twitter and you've got, you know, 500 Twitter um, profiles and you would like to get email addresses for those people or you'd like to also get their LinkedIn pages or you'd like to also get their uh, Reddit profiles or YouTube profiles or whatever it is, right? Mm. Uh, you can do that through Full Contacts Person API, uh, which, is, which is pretty slick. Um, I used it at Moz actually when we did a big customer research project, right? We were looking at sort of people who had uh, stuck with the, the Moz subscription and people who had canceled and what sorts of attributes did they have that were different from one another, et cetera. Uh, I loved full contact for that. And full contact, uh, so, so, oh, so, so I was just going to say with full contact, there's no pricing on the website. Um, do, do you know roughly what the pricing is for the service? Oh gosh, it was pretty inexpensive. I remember us running something on the order of a hundred thousand emails and getting all the all the data we wanted for around uh 20k so yeah not you know uh not not unaffordable at all great okay uh, i'm sorry the, the the other tool you mentioned was the other tool is clearbit Okay. Uh, which I, I think a lot of marketers are, are probably familiar with Clearbit, mm -hmm. but they have something similar where uh, you can essentially give them data of one type of profile and they will uh, fill in those other elements. Uh, Clearbit has some more advertising centric overlap as well for sort of custom audiences, et cetera. But um, yeah, I, I think both of those are good options. Superb stuff. Um, so that was Hunter.io was your tool number three. So what is your tool number two? Uh, I don't want to put myself first. So we, we you know, we uh, over email, we said we'd talk about SparkToro. I, I do use SparkToro more than any other tool, but a lot of that is helping other people, right? So um, I, I, I don't want to pretend like it's my all day every day that I'm in my own tool, but I am kind of proud of the fact that um, this is, you know, this is no offense to Moz, but when I was at Moz, I didn't have to do much inside Moz's tools all that often. Um, and part of that was being CEO of a larger company, but it's kind of cool that I probably run 20 SparkToro searches a day, if, if not more, uh, sometimes even on the weekends. And so, yeah, I, I use, uh, I use SparkToro quite a bit and that is, um, primarily about helping other marketers and with some of our own campaigns, uh, with discovering attributes and behaviors of those audiences so that so that we can do good jobs uh, positioning our campaigns and our products, targeting our outreach efforts, uh, knowing how much effort to put into a marketing channel or a particular tactic or a specific piece of outreach. You know, I, I don't know if you've had this, David. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll frame this up for you and you tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Sure. So you, uh, you walk into a meeting room or boardroom or you're having a conversation over email with some executives and you say, hey, I think uh, we should put some serious dollars and effort towards getting into this industry publication this year or getting on stage at, I don't know, HubSpot's inbound conference, uh, for example, which attracts a lot of MarTech, MarTech sure. professionals or, or, or Saster or um, MicroConf or you know, something like this, right? And the executives say, well, I'd like us to be in the Wall Street Journal. And you, 
you, you kind of cock your head. It doesn't have to be the Wall Street Journal. It could be like the New York Times or I don't know, TechCrunch or something, sure. right? It's some, some prestige publication. Mm-hmm. And you kind of cock your head sideways and you rub your chin a little bit and you go, well, you just told me, or we all agreed that our target customer are these people. Mm-hmm. Did they read the Wall Street Journal more than anything else? Well, look, David, I, I, I go golfing with all of our with all of our customers, and they, I can tell you they read the Wall Street Journal. So you better get us in the Wall Street Journal. And you just, you know, you just kind of want to jump out the window. <laughs> it's a terrible experience, and it's very tough to bring data to those conversations to sort of prove to your executives, no, look, I. I looked and and uh, the inbound event is attended by 17% of all the SaaS marketers that we're targeting. And the Wall Street Journal is read by two and a half percent. So what do you think? Should we put 10 times the effort into this one than that one? That, that is uh, a conversation that I I really love bringing SparkToro's data to. I don't know if that's you know, resonates with you. But. It, 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 do, it does resonate with me. I recognize those conversations, but I, I'll tell you what um, rung a bell, a, apart from actually me listening to the accent that you were putting on there and wondering if it was a character <laughs> yeah, in The that's Simpsons. Right. That's but... my fancy East Coast EO <laughs> accent. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> uh, you, you, you'll probably relate to this as well. It actually reminds me more of SEO and actually having conversations with executives about um, targeting. Um, th- th- this was several years ago. I mean, I, I, I've been involved in SEO since since roughly the same time as you in the, the oh, mid 2000s yeah. or so. And um, yeah, I haven't I haven't been so actively involved in the area in the last couple of years or so. But um, it reminds me of um, sh- deciding on what should be the target keyword phrases oh, for the yeah. site and for different pages and for executives going but I want to rank for this phrase because I search for this phrase and that's what competitors appear for. Yeah. <laughs> or Right, right. And, and and you say to yourself, friend, you're the only one looking for that. Like, yeah. Don't, don't yeah. worry. Look, there's zero search volume. You're yeah. the only person out there. And, and we haven't even talked about personalized search, but that's another story. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, so same problem, right? Same, same sort of problem. I, I like to call it the Wall Street Journal marketing problem because mm-hmm. for some reason, whenever there's a C-titled executive in the room, the Wall Street Journal comes up, at least in the United States. Uh, but you know, this this sort of bias happens all the time with prestige publications, and I, I understand it, right? I have empathy. Like, look, my my 93, 94 year old grandmother was never impressed by any of the tech publications that uh, that sent Moz, you know, high value traffic or that helped my book Lost and Founder like get sales or that's helping Sparktoro. But one side mention in the New York Times. And my grandmother cut out the article and she had it on her fridge, right? That so I get it. Like I you know, I understand the bias, but we're marketers. We 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 have an obligation and a responsibility to do our job uh, and to tell people things they don't always want to yes. hear. I, I, th- I think the, the fine line to tread as a marketer is um is, 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 is marketing in reality, but also understanding that you need to market to perception as well. Mm-hmm. And if it's, a, if it's a large group's perception, even if it's not reality, um, it, it becomes someone's reality almost, and you have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, have, I have the impression that there is a huge group of people who never read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or whatever it is, but they have a Google alert set up, you know, or a mention dot, uh, a mention alert or whatever it is, right? And so when one of their competitors gets mentioned, they see that and then they think, oh, well, a lot of people must be reading about this in our industry who care about this stuff. We need to be there too. And these biases are just self-reinforcing. And hey, if, if you're the Wall Street Journal, it's great. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to encourage that, right? But yeah, uh, it's it's definitely a a challenge. And this is this is something I hope that Spark Toro, right? Because the the simplicity of the tool is, you know, I type in whatever software, you know, SaaS marketers, and it shows me that two percent read this publication and twenty percent read that publication, and 
uh, you know, it's it's not rocket science. It's mm. very clear, and the you know the profile data is right there. And I think bringing that, uh, bringing those kinds of numbers and that sort of uh, list of publications that actually do reach an audience, this is uh, immensely valuable to a lot of marketers, and not just to the marketers, right, to the team as well, so that they don't spin their wheels. Absolutely. But if you do get that mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, when it doesn't um, bring you a lot of traffic or immediately measurable notoriety, then yeah. maybe take advantage of it by doing something like um, retargeting or targeting a, a very small group of CEOs who are your target audience and let them know that you've been featured in that publication. Sure. Yeah, right. Like I think prestige publications can serve a purpose for social proof, right? And for uh, editorial, um, I don't want to say peacocking, but, um, you know, presenting yourself in a way that you've passed through some of the gatekeeping of, you know, a, a broader editorial uh, effort. And uh, that can have some value. At the same time, I think um, if, if I were going to tell marketers where to put their, their dollars and their time, it would rarely be in those prestige publication yeah. spots. Absolutely. Your, your peacocking phrase reminded me of um, when I was a marketing manager more than 10 years ago um, uh, and working with a PR firm. And uh, every so often they'd come around and present in a, in a big um, hard copy book. These are the publications that you've been featured oh, yeah. in. And um, this is the value of uh, what we've done for you. <laughs> right. And it would, you know, it would have like, here's Barack Obama on the cover of this magazine. Mm. And then look at you on page 71. You know, here's your mention and right alongside Obama. My, wow. Amazing. You, yes. kinda have this you, you can't pay for this publicity. Yes. Yeah. You can't <laughs> Except you obviously just paid for that publicity. <laughs> so we've got Hunter.io as your tool number three. We've got SparkToro as your tool number two. What is your MarTech tool number one? So I, uh, I don't use this every day, but I will say this is one of the most valuable tools, possibly the most valuable MarTech tool in our tech stack, and that is ProfitWell. Uh, ProfitWell is uh, free. Unbelievably, it is free. And so I urge you all to sign up. Anybody with a subscription business uh, should sign up for it. It is a very clear, clean, obvious interface that shows, integrates with your uh, Stripe account. Um, and, and I think some other payment methods as well, but we, we, we use Stripe at SparkToro. Uh, and then it shows you your revenues, your monthly recurring revenue, subscription in one time. It shows you trends over time. It shows you uh, customers, right? So I can see all of our customers who signed up and their product, uh, uh, whether they're actively using the product or not. I can see whether they uh, have, this is through an integration, uh, obviously with a, um, uh, you know, a trigger event, a firing event on your website. Uh, and then I can see uh, folks who've canceled, when they've canceled, when they've upgraded their subscription, downgraded, just all of that management stuff that, uh, David, I don't know if you've ever built this, but I spent years working with our teams at Moz. Mm. Um, we had a team called Inbound Engineering at Moz that uh, ugh, every couple of years, every three years, there'd be some new requirement and we have to rebuild our systems to monitor all this stuff and put it together. Um, ProfitWell does it all for you for free. It has budgeting. So, so we can basically see, you know, oh, we're $5,000 away from hitting what our monthly target was. And this is how many more sales we'd need. Beautiful. It's utterly incredible, um, the software that's available now compared with five years ago, 10 years ago, oh, even more. Uh, it's just I night and day, isn't it? ProfitWell. Killed for it. Mm, ridiculous. Um, so. Yeah. You mentioned churn, um, I, yeah. I think, as well, and identifying different um, areas that are perhaps drop-off points. Is there a specific example that you can give that you, has actually saved your business potentially a, a lot of money or um, value in other ways by using ProfitWell? Uh, yeah, one of the things one of the things we noticed early on this was. Um, it, during our beta period, actually, we saw uh, that usage, 
fascinatingly enough, um, sort of bifurcated along two lines. So a lot of a lot of our users were sort of regular weekly, monthly users, right? They were using the subscription, and then there was this this cohort of I think it was close to thirty percent of our users who basically used the product very heavily in one or two weeks and never came back. So that what they what they were really showing us is that they needed. Um, they needed the data, but they were going to only run a campaign like this maybe once a quarter, once every six months, once every year, maybe once every two years. And we wanted to be okay with that, right? We're not venture backed. We don't mm -hmm. need only recurring revenue. All revenue is great to us. Any customer that we can help is great for us. We don't we don't need to care about forcing you into uh, into a subscription. And so we said, let's not force everyone into a subscription. And we created a one time heavy use package where for a week you can use SparkToro uh, as much, you know, nearly as much as you want. I think it's like a thousand searches or something like that. And every month we have two to five customers who buy the one week heavy use subscription and just use it real heavily. We've even had some of those customers come back and do it again, even though we've only been live for four months. Great, fine, wonderful, right? So, so that's taking that insight, turning it into, um, a package, right, and a, and a pricing, uh, and pricing your product to reflect how users actually want to use your product. So I had a conversation. Uh, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't part of the the broadcasted conversations. I won't say who it was with, but it was with um, a software company, and um, I was talking to the founder, and he said that um, obviously they offer a monthly type access to to, to their product and I, and I was saying that I would actually pay for ad hoc access to his product and he was saying actually we don't want to do that because um, if we if we take if we offer that then too many people will do that and not enough yeah. people will actually sign up to the to the monthly package was that a concern and and how did you get around that if it was uh I believe that is a concern if you have a very particular kind of investor who is looking for you to be able to raise future investment and therefore they need all recurring revenue and certain churn numbers to be able to market and position you to raise your next round. Mm -hmm. But if you don't care about raising rounds of funding, ta-da! The world yeah. becomes your oyster, right? And we don't care about raising future rounds of funding. We care about, uh, you know, in this order, right? Being profitable, serving our customers well, serving our community well, serving ourselves well, and, and then our investors, right? They'll yeah. profit if we do all four of those things well. So it, it's kind of beautiful. But when I was at Moz, yeah, I felt the pressure every day, David, every day I felt the pressure to basically look at our churn number and figure out how to bring it down and look at our subscription uh, numbers and figure out how to bring, you know, lifetime value up and those kinds of things. So any any type of one time offering would have been seen as uh, suicidal, you know, just <laughs> um, an anathema to everything that we were you know, trying to achieve as a business, which was essentially a, a, a very specific type of financial and uh, customer growth to match metrics that fit with what venture style investors and public market investors were used to. So do you have the belief that um, because you're offering these one-time offerings that actually financially it'll probably benefit you in the future because people will stay with you longer and they'll be happier with your brand, they'll become advocates? Or is it simply because you just want to do the right thing for people? Yeah, it, it's a little of both, right? So I, I have the belief that uh, two things are true. One, I think more people will subscribe and we will ultimately provide more value to more people in the ways that they want, which is both a good thing, broadly speaking, for the business, because I think it speaks to our reputation and our brand and it speaks to evangelism and marketing and also the right thing to do as a person and a human being who you know, builds a product that they believe in and thinks can actually help people. Um, so I think both of those things are, are true. Uh, I also, I'm not going to lie. I, when someone tells me I can't do something, 
Oh, oh my God. It's like catnip. I just, Watch I me. just got a spot. I have to get, uh-huh, give it to me. Right. So mm. I think, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, bucking trends and being driven by contrarianism. Uh, so I, I, I'll, I'll admit that, that there's a little bit of an emotional component there too, but this is not the only uh, thing we do this on. One of the things that surprised a ton of people and actually got, it's really weird. Every, uh, Every month, there's like there'll, there'll be like a big Twitter thread or a LinkedIn thread or something um, where someone has taken a screenshot of the email that we send, the automated email that we send to our subscribers uh, in there before we build them. So basically, you know, let's say you sign up for a SparkToro subscription, subscription, and you pay us, I don't know, one hundred fifty dollars, right, for the standard package, whatever. Uh, three days before your build again, you'll get an email. It comes from the it comes from SparkToro, I think it comes from me, Rand at SparkToro, but you know, it's, it's a formatted email. It's obviously a, an automated one, but it, you know, it basically says like, Hey, most SaaS companies don't tell you when they're about to bill you again, but we don't want to play those games. We mm-hmm. don't have any investors. We don't have a need to keep you as a customer. If you're not using it, if you don't find it valuable, or if you need to save some money, cancel, click this button and cancel. Otherwise you'll be charged in three days anything you need, write to me. People like love that email. They, yes. they just love the email. They read the text. It sounds like a human being. It seems authentic. It is authentic. Like it's true. That's what I want. I want you to cancel if you're not getting value. Yes. Um, and uh, we get a bunch of marketing, obviously a bunch of marketing value out of it. I think I think someone sent a tweet. It had like, you know, 700 likes or something in, in July around this. I've seen and, it on Twitter. Yes. So I must have seen yeah, it on there. Yeah, yes. like yeah. And, it's not, you know, it's not just one. It'll be, you know, several of our customers have posted. Um, there's almost one or um, there's a, almost every month that we've been live, someone goes sort of, not viral, but, you know, gets a lot of traction on one of the social platforms with it. Yeah, uh, it's an important lesson for digital marketers. Uh, and I say digital marketers rather than marketers, I think, um, just not to focus on how they can maximize conversion rates or sneakily uh, improve figures. And it's all about um, long term success and about making your customers really, really satisfied with you in ways that aren't necessarily completely measurable. And I, I think what you've explained there just emphasizes that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think half of it is the empathy that is shown to customers and the other half is how unusual it is, right? So if lots and lots of subscription companies did this, it would be the standard yeah. thoughtful thing, right? We, we Well, we all do it, so it's not that special, so no one's going to amplify you for doing it. If you want to be perceived that way, right, perceived as, as, as unique, as uniquely thoughtful and, and uniquely customer focused, You've got to find something that nobody else is doing and then do that. So let's finish up by asking you a couple of other quick questions about your general use of marketing technology. So the first one is, as your business grows, what's an example of a process that you currently do manually that you may wish to automate using marketing technology in the future? Hmm. Fair enough. I, I do love doing a lot of things manually because it has that personalized touch. Um, that being said... I am very much looking forward to the day when uh, audio transcription software is so perfect that it requires uh, no editing or nearly no editing. That will be that will be a beautiful day. Um, that being said, I do use Speechpad.com right now, and they are, you know, they, they actually do uh, both machine with manual editorial, you know, sort of human review. Um, it's quite good and quite cheap, so. Maybe, maybe good enough. Maybe AI doesn't have to get there. Uh, I'm pretty excited for a future that will remove... Um, you know how Zoom has the video touch-up feature? Sure. It is, it's medium good, right? Like my skin looks okay today. Don't <laughs> You don't want to come into my shed and see it in real life. But I, would, I will not mind when Zoom's touch-up feature uh, advances another... 150, 200%. That'll be a good day for me, uh, especially in the summer when my skin seems to be freaked out. I think you're, uh, you're, you're fine. I think you just have to be concerned when um, webcams go up to 4K or 8K <laughs> in oh, resolution. Yeah. No, this, so this is a 4K, this one that I've got here. I don't know. I don't I don't think it's at full uh, full capacity, but 
Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. W w when you're actually streaming regularly at that re resolution, it's um. Yes, and then, yeah. oh God, <laughs> I, I mean, look, David, you you have it easy, my friend. Do you know how long my hair takes to get like this every morning? <laughs> I have to get up a full forty-five minutes before any call that I have in order to, you know, do my physical therapy exercise and get in the shower and blow dry my hair and blah, blah, blah. So my, my, my years and follicle reductions actually a good thing. Is that what you're saying? Yes. I, I am saying you are inducing jealousy. In this. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think you're in a, a position to be able to say that uh, a man I, with full hair, but um, <laughs> I, um, I, so I would, um, uh, on the marketing technology side, I would love for uh, some technology that helps to identify and um, better attribute dark traffic. Uh, and I think what's what's starting to be called shadow traffic or shadow mm -hmm. visits, essentially the visits that analytics tools are not effectively recording because of ad blockers or, or uh, browsers that have that are blocking, uh, you know, the send to Google Analytics or those kinds of things. So I'm hoping that attribution technology gets better because, look, if you have a physical retail store, if you own it, you get to know if someone comes in, and and you you get to see which shelves they're browsing and what products they pick up, right? And I, I look, I don't want to invade anyone's privacy, but I think it's reasonable to ask that I. If I run a website, I get to see, did someone visit a page and where did they go before and where did they come from and where did they go after? Uh, that's super useful in terms of me making a better website, a better experience, uh, not just better marketing, but sort of better, um, better service. Uh, I'm, I am still sore as hell at Google for taking away keywords in what was that 2011 with keyword not provided. Mm, yeah, that is the shadiest, most hypocritical, uh, unbelievable that they got away with it and people just stopped complaining and thought, well, what are you going to do? The reason they got away with it, it was because it was gradual. It was like 10% yeah. a year for about five years. Yep. Yep. And and they kept promising it wouldn't go higher, mm. right? They kept being like, no, 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 just a, just a sample of traffic. Blah, blah, blah. It'll never go higher than 10. What was the Matt Quetz quote? It'll never go higher than 10%. And then uh, uh, how they said, oh, well, it's a privacy issue. Well, why don't you do it in paid? Screw you. Never ask us questions again. <laughs> F off. I mean, frankly, go take your monopoly and shove it down. I just, uh, I don't know. Whenever, whenever topics come up around regulation or how well but Google built a better product, just Get your blood boiling a little bit about that issue. Maybe it will help help you reflect on the fact that Google ha has something coming. Well, um, do you see uh, another search engine coming along that will take away a, a lot of um, Google's business? Uh, or yeah. is Google going to be in its current state of monopoly for the foreseeable future? Um, let's see. Yes, unless regulation comes around. Right. Right. I think, I think Google, uh, you can see the documents. I don't know if you uh, paid attention to the House, the, the United States House of Representatives subcommittee uh, sure. on antitrust had their hearings with Sundar Pichai and, and Amazon and all those folks uh, a few weeks ago. But some of the documents that came out were amazing, right? There were emails between executives inside of Google. And one of those emails said, hey, we, uh, we should make sure no one can ever compete with us by using, by making sure that search always relies on um, search quality always relies on having more searcher data. And that way, right, if we use user signals to boost the way we're able to effectively rank content and show people things, people will come to expect that and no new search engine will ever be able to displace us because they won't have enough user data and historical information to be able to build a better machine. And uh, <laughs> and it was it was basically a okay, how do we use our monopoly to make sure no one can ever compete with our monopoly? Um, it was almost phrased that way in the email. It was just beautiful. I think one of the biggest concerns for me is the industries every single year that seem to be 
taken out of existence. Uh, initially, you had things like comparison websites. Um, you, you, it's jobs and recipes. Yeah. A few years ago, flights, hotels. Yeah. They just, anywhere they see money, the, the new Google uh, uh, credit cards and bank accounts. Woo. Yep. Rand, this is a conversation I'm sure that could go on for a long time, but we've... Oh, we've any thoughts. Yes, I can, I can, I can sense that. But also, you, like, you've shared a lot of great value just talking about marketing technology in general, what SparkTor is doing to uh, improve the data that's available to, to marketers and obviously the other tools that you've, you've shared with us as well. Um, is there any final takeaway that you, you would like to leave with our listener? Gosh, yeah, I, um, one of my big passions uh, in life and in the world is to um, support entrepreneurs and, and so uh, software creators and marketers who are helping small and medium businesses uh, grow and be successful in spite of a climate that is very big business friendly. And so um, I would just encourage uh, a lot of folks to think about how they can reframe their experiences and their passion and their goals and their drive away from worshiping at the altar of sort of, you know, the biggest 10 to 50 technology companies and comparing themselves constantly against those entrepreneurs. And instead think about how beautiful and wonderful it is to have a world that doesn't reward income inequality, that doesn't worship at the altar of a few almost all, you know, white dudes in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, tech CEOs. Uh, I, I, think, I think we are ripe for an age of more diversity um, and, and more opportunity for more people instead of more wealth for a few. Wonderfully said. Um, not just a marketing thought, a, a thought for a way to live moving forward and how hopefully um, it will change the way that business is done. And I, I, I'm positive about it and I'm sure many people are as well. Um, great thoughts. Rand, thank you so much for your time and your tips today. What was the best way for the listeners to find out more about you and what you do? Sure, yeah. Well, if you want to um, try out any of the tools I've mentioned, you can try all three of them that we talked about today. In fact, are free to try hunter.io, sparktoro.com, and profitwell.com. Uh, and if you are interested in following me and hearing me complain more about the uh, monopolistic situations and hearing lots of marketing advice as well, uh, I am most active on Twitter where I'm at Randfish. Wonderful stuff. Thanks again, sir. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. Take care. And thank you, dear listener, for joining us. If you haven't done so already, sign up for your free trial of Content Cal, plan, collaborate on, approve and publish your content in one simple and intuitive calendar interface. Plus check out all the other MarTech Stack show episodes over at contentcal.io. Also, wherever you're watching or listening to this show, let us know your opinion. What are the three most important marketing technologies in your business? Let us know and we'll try and give you a shout out on a future show or maybe even have you on as a future guest. Thanks again.